0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Thursday, June 3rd. Today, back in the day on June 3rd, 1992, the Portland Trailblazers lost to the Chicago Bulls in what became immortalized as the Shrug Game. The name comes from an infamous shrug from Michael Jordan, sunk his sixth three-pointer in a half. Jordan scored 35 points total in the first half, including those six three-pointers, both of which set NBA Finals records. And while the final score of 122 to 89 didn't make the Blazers look great, they came back strong in game two with a victory. But ultimately, Chicago took home the 1992 season championship in game six. And today, back in the day on June 3rd, 1965, NASA launched the Gemini 4 spaceflight. The two astronauts on board were James McDivitt and Ed White, and over the course of their four-day journey, they ended up circling the Earth 66 times. The mission would mark many firsts for the United States, including the first multi-day flight, as well as the first spacewalk in which White floated in space while tethered to the ship for about 20 minutes. Towards the end of the trip, some unexpected issues forced the ship to change its original landing plan. However, both White and McDivitt landed safe and sound. Today we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Vendor Program Director for Street Routes, Devon Pouncey. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. The Oregon Legislature passed the Crown Act yesterday. House Bill 2935, also known as the Crown Act. Passed the Oregon Senate by a 28 to 1 vote. If signed by Governor Kate Brown, the bill will become law. The legislation expands existing protections against discrimination. It specifically protects against discrimination based on, quote, physical characteristics that are historically associated with race, including, but not limited to, natural hair, hair texture, hair type, and protective hairstyles. The Crown Act is part of a national campaign spurred by publicized incidents of discrimination in which black students were forced to change their hair. In one such incident in Portland, a 16-year-old Park Rose High School student was forced to cut the beads out of her hair in order to be allowed to play a game of volleyball. Similar legislation has been passed in nine states already, including California and Washington. And now your daily dose of data in the last week, Oregon has administered an average of 21.8 thousand doses of a COVID 19 vaccine. It's a 32% decrease from last week's average. 2,321,966 Oregonians have received at least one dose of a COVID 19 vaccine. This is 63.7% of the state's eligible population, everyone 12 years and older. It is 55.1 percent of the state's entire population, regardless of eligibility. At least 1,923,494 Oregonians have been fully vaccinated. Two Klamath Basin farmers say they plan to forcibly release water from Upper Klamath Lake. The Klamath Project is a federally operated system of dams, canals and reservoirs. The system collects and stores water along the Oregon-California border. The Klamath Basin is an agricultural region with over 1,200 farms relying on water from the Klamath project. Due to drought conditions in the area, the federal government made the contentious decision to retain the water in the upper lake to protect endangered fish species there. This means that water will not be released into the basin. However, a group led by two Klamath Basin farmers is threatening to break into federal property to open the head gates of the main irrigation canal And provide agricultural irrigation. This wouldn't be the first time something like this was attempted. 2001 saw a similar conflict over a federal water shutoff. That year frustrated farmers did break in to manually turn the water back on. To-go cocktails set to remain a permanent fixture of Oregon dining following a vote in the state legislature. Senate Bill 317 passed on Tuesday, allowing the sale of takeout mixed drinks and wine to continue after the restaurant industry has recovered from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. The bill allows for single servings of alcoholic beverages in sealed containers to be purchased for off-site consumption. It cleared the Oregon House by a vote of 51-7 to after passing in the state Senate in March. Last March, many states sought to remove Prohibition-era laws that banned the sale of alcoholic beverages for outside consumption as a means to stimulate the restaurant industry. Oregon will join 15 other states and the District of Columbia in making to-go alcohol sales permanent. Of those 15, three are Washington, California, and Idaho, Oregon's neighbors on all sides. Initially, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission said last April that the prohibitive laws were instilled deeply within the Oregon legal code and demanded that change come from a legislative level. Residents of the Columbia River Gorge evacuated as fire closes a stretch of I-84. Owasco County Mobile Home Park between Interstate 84 and U.S. Highway 30 was given Level 3 Go Now orders on Wednesday afternoon. Both roads were also temporarily closed due to a spreading fire in the area. According to the U.S. Forest Service, the fire is currently burning on 120 acres and is uncontained. While the exact cause of the fire is unknown, it is believed to be human-caused. Additionally, the Columbia River Gorge Discovery Center and a nearby golf course have also been evacuated. Residents are being advised to head to the nearby community of Rowena. The closed stretch of I-84 reopened just before 5 p.m. yesterday after downed power lines were removed. Further closings were planned in the evening to restore local power. And some good news. Juneteenth will become an official state holiday in Oregon. The Oregon House approved House Bill 2168 by a 58-0 vote yesterday. The Senate had passed this amended version a day prior. After Governor Brown signs it into law, June 19th will become an official state holiday starting in 2022. Juneteenth is also known as Emancipation Day, Jubilee Day, and Freedom Day. It commemorates the day in 1865 when news was spread to Galveston, Texas, that those who were enslaved there were now free. Over two years after, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. According to local publication, The Scanner, this holiday will serve to honor the freedom of enslaved people in the United States, acknowledge Oregon's racist roots, and celebrate the contributions of Black Americans in the face of inequity and systemic oppression. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-ray. Joining us now is Devon Pouncy, the Vendor Program Director for Street Roots. He's also the host of the Street Roots podcast, which is part of the organization's advocacy arm. On this week's episode of the podcast, he spoke with houseless advocates about the uptick in sweeps of homeless encampments across the West Coast.
1: Joining us now is Devon Pouncy, the Vendor Program Director for Street Roots. He's also the host of the Street Roots podcast, which is part of the organization's advocacy arm. On this week's episode of the podcast, he spoke with houseless advocates about the uptick in sweeps of homeless encampments across the West Coast. Devon, thank you for joining us.
2: Glad I could be here. Glad I could be here.
1: Excellent. So um, in addition to the weekly Street Roots segment that we have here on X-Ray, Street Roots is available as its own podcast, which you host. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the Street Roots podcast.
2: Definitely. Well, yeah, the Street Roots podcast essentially was born out of the pandemic. Um, You know, there was a point in time where Street Roots had to uh, put a pause on our print edition of our newspaper, of our publication. So for about a six-month period, um, we decided to pretty much do everything digital, digital. And we had been talking about doing the Street Roots podcast for a while, but it just sort of never came to fruition. But there was sort of no better time than when we were only putting out digital content to create the Street Roots podcast, where we have a wide range of interviews. We interview uh, Street Roots vendors, we interview activists from all over, we interview journalists, um, we interview elected officials and politicians on, on a local, politicians on a local, state, and federal level. So um it, it's a pretty wide range of folks that we interviewed that are, are coming from all walks of life and uh yeah it's been pretty good so far up to this point we're keeping it rocking and rolling
1: that's great i just the 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 journalism that that street roots does is so wide-ranging and in-depth and inspiring and uh it's so great to to know that that you're out in more than just one medium uh with the podcast now th- this week Uh, on the podcast. Uh, You spoke with a handful of activists about homeless camp sweeps in Portland and L.A. Uh, What kind of changes are we seeing with homeless camps and sweeps at the moment?
2: Um, Well, I think we're seeing the sweeps increase. Uh, Obviously, we've been in a pandemic for quite some time. And I think, you know, locally, um, federally, just all around, uh, there was a little bit more compassion for not just unhoused folks, but really just people across the board because we were in a time that was absolutely unprecedented. Um, Economies were closed. uh, People had to work from home. And people ultimately were trying to stay safe from this virus. So uh, you saw more assistance come into place when it came to people that were unhoused. um, Less sweeps started happening. Um, They got more help and more services in regards to, you know, putting out, or, or opening in, opening public restrooms, putting out more restrooms uh, across the city. Um, so, you know, folks have sort of gotten comfortable at the places that they were located and that they were staying at. But now as we sort of have this reopening of the economy starting to happen and folks are going back to school and folks are going back to work mm-hmm. and, um, you know, businesses are starting to open back up, we're starting to see folks, you know, complain a bit more about, the folks in our neighbors who are out on the streets, and that is leading to more sweeps happening in cities across the entire West Coast. So it's just something to look at as we, you know, attempt to find this new sense of normalcy that the unhoused population is being affected in a very negative way to this point.
1: And uh, again, on the podcast, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, similarities between Portland and L.A. and, and talked a little bit about what has been going on in Echo Park what What are we seeing at Laurelhurst Park here in Portland? Are there similarities?
2: Yeah, there are definitely some similarities um, police presence being one of them um, there's a lot more police presence at Laurelhurst Park um, as I was interviewing the folks you know we had about five different street activists that were being interviewed on episode eighteen of the podcast and you know one of the unhoused neighbors was at Laurelhurst Park at that particular time. And while I'm interviewing them, there was a patrol car just driving by. And so you're just starting to see more of a presence there. Um, Also, you know, L.A. is is obviously known as a pretty expensive area. Um, There's a decent amount of money in the neighborhood surrounding the Laurelhurst Park area. So you're starting to see more of these neighborhoods um, that, you know, are a little bit better off economically that are, being the first areas that are hit and being prioritized in regards to these sweeps as well. So, um, I think increased police presence and then just, you know, these suburban areas is where you're starting to see the sweeps increase first rather than maybe some other areas that already, um, get less attention in those types of ways anyway.
1: In the, in the podcast, um, uh, there was kind of this, Uh, in your newest podcast episode, there was kind of this image of families in the newly reopened Echo Park area kind of spending a lazy afternoon on paddle boats in the lake while homeless people are camped on the shore. Um, and you know, that's, I, I see that at, at Laurelhurst Park that there's, you know, people, you know, out for a jog or with their dog in the dog park. And, and then, um, you know, the, the people who are, are then living, um, Uh, camped nearby who who is actually being served by this uh, a return to normalcy and who gets left behind
2: well um i think the people that are being served are the people that are privileged homeowners obviously are being served because um these are their neighborhoods that they're sort of making a stance for to leave these unhoused neighbors behind Mm -hmm. um Also, you know, a lot of these parks host big events. I know at Echo Park Lake in L.A., they hold a lot of huge festivals there. Um, Laurel Hearst Park has its own events. People get to rent out areas in Laurel Hearst Park Park as well. So um, the city obviously benefits from these parks being open and for um, these huge events that, that have gained popularity over the years to resume because a lot of them were canceled last year during the pandemic, of Mm -hmm. course. So um, I think you're starting to see as businesses open up and as these homeowners um, start to kind of get back out in their neighborhoods and they're not really locked into having to be in the house because we're not on lockdown or shutdown or any of those things. um, They're the ones that are definitely being prioritized as they're making a lot of the the complaints as well. And our unhoused neighbors then, you know, get left to have to interact with the police where, they're already, you know, disproportionately treated in a negative way by police in the first place. Um, obviously, that causes them have to have to move. With sweeps, they get some of their their things taken, things misplaced, um, and it just ultimately becomes a traumatic experience for our unhoused neighbors. So I would definitely say they're the ones that get left behind, and the folks with the money are the ones who get prioritized in all of this.
1: So, so we're, we're, we're seeing an increase in sweeps. Um, what else are you hearing from activists about how city governments in Los Angeles and Portland are approaching things as as we open things up? So there's sweeps, but what else?
2: Um, well, there's sort of just like a lack of communication with the unhoused neighbors. Um, postings were you know few and far in between during the time that uh during the time that the pandemic had initially started and for about a year to follow because you know we've been shut down for quite a while and you know tears have been you know high risk and so on and so forth mm-hmm. um so that's definitely a thing but during that same time you've had a lot of communication from these elected officials to that of um these homeowners as i've already mentioned business owners and things of that sort. So I think just when it comes to what the reopening plan is, the communication hasn't been as significant for folks who are unhoused as it has been for those that are housed. And that ultimately leads to kind of these situations where, you know, things escalate quickly because um, you have expectations that are unknown for these unhoused people. And then you have expectations for, from these elected officials based on, plans that they're sort of sneakily creating and you just have a huge blow up at either Echo Park Lake or a place like Laurelhurst Park. So I think it's been the communication in regards to um, what the help is going to be like or what reopening is going to look like and what that means for our unhoused neighbors. And it's not really a community unifying to figure out solutions for our unhoused neighbors during all of this. It's just like, hey, sweep them up, kick the can down the road, and then mm-hmm. we'll do it again when when the opportunity presents itself to do it again. And that's just not, you know, a reliable solution to be able to ultimately fix this problem that affects all in the community. Uh,
1: this is Andy Lindberg. I'm speaking with uh, Devon Pouncy f- about uh, homeless camp sweeps along the West Coast. Uh, I'd, I'd like to kind of s- switch the direction of our conversation a little bit because, You are also the director of the vendor program at Street Roots, um, which, you know, we've we've actually never really talked much about um, on the air. Tell us about the Street Roots vendor program and and what makes it so special.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, with with our Street Roots vendor program, um, you know, it's it's our members that are unhoused or impoverished that are looking for a low barrier income opportunity. And, and primarily that is by way of selling our street roots newspaper across the city. Um, you know, they get to buy the newspaper from, they go through an orientation to become vendors. They start off with 10 free newspapers to go out and sell. And then after that um, they purchase the papers from the organization for 25 cents. They go out and sell those newspapers for a dollar and they get to keep um, the the, the difference and they also get to keep and receive any tips Mm -hmm. um, that customers decide to give to them as well. Um, And, you know, we do a lot of advocacy work as well on that front. You know, a lot of our vendors um, are really good for being able to go out and and get information from their unhoused neighbors in a way um, that is trauma informed. Um, You know, they get, they gather data for the Mm -hmm. organization to be able to do a lot of reporting Um, You know, they do a lot of artsy things. You know, we have our holiday zine that some people may be familiar with. Um, You know, we do our poetry that's in our newspaper weekly from vendors as well. So, um, you know, our vendors do a lot of different things. Like I said, primarily, you know, they look to make an income by way of selling the newspaper. But um, they also step up as community leaders in so many other ways um, by really sort of being on the front lines and and really um, being able to inform us as an organization and inform the city and elected officials at large in regards to some of the things that unhoused people want and ultimately need Mm -hmm. to be able to survive in the city and in our community. So, um, you know, a lot of roles are played by our street roots vendors, but um, they're very significant to our community. And also, it's just a good way for people in the community to not only be informed by what's going on with the unhoused population by way of being able to read the newspaper, but to start to kind of, you know, get a relationship with their vendor that they print newspaper from, from their respective, you know, local grocery store that they regularly shop at. And you get to really know these unhoused folks in a Mm -hmm. real way. And you don't have to lean on some of the unfortunate stereotypes um, that get placed on our unhoused neighbors. So, um, I think you know our vendors hold a lot of value in this community in so many different ways, and people should obviously a go out and try to help them out by purchasing a newspaper, but b really start to you know get a relationship with these folks to get a real understanding of you know who they are, where they come from, where they come from, um, how much they know, how resourceful they are, um, and, and some of the fascinating stories that they have to tell based on their own life experience
1: how how have you been able to, to stay in touch with previous vendors when they've found more permanent housing or, or uh, moved into different uh, jobs?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, a lot of them tend to come back. We just had a, a former vendor come back on Monday that, you know, I hadn't seen, you know, in a couple of years, you know, prior to the pandemic. And it was just super great to be able to see her and speak with her because she essentially... You know, she's she's clean she's clean and sober now. She's mm. got housing and she just wanted to come back and, and tell us that, you know, Street Roots saved her life and that, you know, there's many times where her life could have came to an end, um had it not been for Street Roots helping her and pushing her to become a better person. So, um we get a lot of that type of feedback from vendors who come back and visit and, and keep in touch with us, you know, when when they move along to their next phases of life and and things of that sort. You know, we've been at the same location for the last, you know, 20 years up to this point. So um, that's, you know, one way, you know, we're always there. Um, You know, people, you know, sometimes people leave and stop selling for a while and they come back and start to sell again. Uh, So, you know, just people being able to really kind of come back and let us know what their stories are and, and what's going on with them helps us a lot as there's still sort of a lot of, you know, ebbs and flows in regards to retaining vendors because, you know, life happens.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, indeed.
2: <laughs> life
1: happens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we we
1: just have a, a few moments left here, but I wanted to touch on the advocacy branch of Street Roots. Uh, what kind of advocacy efforts uh, are you planning for this year?
2: Definitely. Um, well, right now, you know, we have our ambassador team that, you know, sort of, it's its own entity now within the organization. It's its own arm within the organization, but it's a lot of vendors and and former vendors that are going out and and communicating with folks and surveying with folks and um, taking resources out to folks as well, you know, as we've been sort of in this pandemic. Um, You know, I think in regards to an advocacy plan, a lot of it is dependent upon how things are getting ready to look, you know, as we're (laughs) getting ready to, yeah. kind of transition into a phase of, you know, economies reopening, you know, businesses reopening, mm-hmm. so much and so forth. So we're definitely keeping a close eye on the trends and the patterns that are happening on that front and how that's going to affect unhoused people. And then from there, we sort of just get creative in regards to, you know, what our advocacy looks like. Um, our vendors have played a huge role in, in testifying and um, for things such as Portland Street response Um, They also played a huge role, you know, in the beginning and sort of, you know, gathering a lot of that information from unhoused folks in regards to what an alternative um, first response option would look like, you know, that ultimately became Portland Street Response. So, um, you know, we're still doing some of the advocacy that we've been doing for a while, but uh, I definitely can foresee us having to transition and change gears a bit as we continue to see um, what this economy does and, and what our community does in regards to finding this new sense of normalcy.
1: Wow, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and for the work that you do uh, on behalf of, of our community.
2: Absolutely, appreciate you for having me.
1: You got it, you got it. Uh, that was uh, Devon Pouncey, director of the Vendor Program for Street Roots. You can pick up a new edition of Street Roots today. Or uh,
0: listen to the Street Roots podcast at streetroots.com. X-Ray. Thanks to Devon for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in just about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and sharing it with friends. Also, thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.